Well, it's such a joy to be together this morning to worship God with all who are gathered. Great to see everybody. Thank you if you're visiting with us for being here to honor the God of heaven. We, got, we have several visitors among us, and uh, it's just such a privilege to have these opportunities. It's wonderful, wonderful to remember uh, Jesus, isn't it, and what he did for us, and to commune with one another and with him in the Lord's Supper. It's so good to see those of like precious faith, to be encouraged by the singing, to be able to pray together, and all of these things that we're doing. So thank you for being here to help us with all of that. Satan is a fisher of men. We're used to the idea that Jesus called his apostles to be fishers of men, and indeed they were, but Satan has been collecting souls and putting them in his uh, fish basket for quite a long time. He is really after the souls of men. And he uses temptations like a fisherman might use lures. I don't know if you've ever thought much about lures. If, you've, if you're a fisherman, you probably have. Uh, when you go fishing for, for bass... We have both largemouth and smallmouth bass in our area. When you go fishing for bass, it's, it's just such an interesting endeavor. I started fishing for bass when I was probably in third grade. My grandfather was a great fisherman. He, uh, he actually had his picture on the cover of a sports magazine, a sports field one time years and years ago. But he, he loved going fishing. And uh, he took me a time or two when I was just a boy before he passed away. And I can remember, uh, you know, going to his fishing hole, and he'd throw this thing out there, and it just looked like a mess. I mean, it was, uh, had hooks all over it, and it kind of looked like a painted fish or something like that. And I don't know why any, any creature would want to bite that thing, but uh, to a bass, it was really attractive. And uh, he'd throw that thing out there, and I mean, he was really good. He'd catch really big bass with regularity. And I remember watching him do that and watching that bass uh, come up and grab that lure and uh, chomp down on it and try to take off with it. And then, of course, my granddad had set the hook and, and then that, that fish had just go, start going all over the place. Uh, he, you know, they come up and they dance on their tails all the, all the way across the water. And what they're trying to do is shake that hook out of their mouths, you know, trying to get it to get out some, some way or another. But... But the lures from the time my granddad was fishing to now, you know, fishing for bass is, a, is not only a science and an art, it's also a big business. So they've come up with all sorts of different kinds of lures with all sorts of different actions and colors and, uh, you know, approaches to catching bass. Now what those lures are mainly meant to catch is not bass, but fishermen who buy them. Uh, so. They, they are not just the lures for the bass, they're the lures for the fishermen. But lures are interesting, and Satan uses them all the time on us. Temptation is a lure. Sin appears to be desirable. As I said, I don't know what makes a bass lure look desirable to a bass, but something does. And we might look at a some sort of fishing lure and think, well, that's the ugliest thing I've ever seen, but yet it's attractive to a bass in some way or other. In James chapter 1, we learn 
that what Satan is doing is he is, he is playing on our desires, just as we do when we fish for bass or some other fish. The desire is that they want to eat. They're hungry. They have appetites. Listen to what James says in James chapter 1 and verse 14. Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it's full, full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Do not be deceived about the nature of temptation. Do not be deceived about the temptation. Do not be deceived about where temptations come from. He touches on all of that in this context, doesn't he? Do not be deceived about temptation. Temptation is seldom ugly in and of itself because it's working on some desire of yours. Temptation is Satan showing you something you desire. It looks good to you. You think you want it. You may see that there's a hook in it. The bass can see the hook. People often can see the hook in the temptation. But the desire overwhelms common sense and wisdom and good judgment. And we take the, we take the bait anyway. Just like a fish might. But Satan is always in his temptations showing us something that we desire. It may be an allurement that's not all attractive in some ways, but it's going to be effective because it's something we desire. And so when you think about sexual sins, for instance, as the wise man in Proverbs talks about that and... Uh, a woman who is uh, immoral and a seductress and in that context. He says about her in Proverbs 7 and verse 21 that with her enticing speech she causes him to yield and with her flattering lips she seduces him. Now normally when we talk about sexual temptation we talk about things like you know immodest dress or pornography or uh, you know other, other things that excite sexual temptation. I just want to tell you what uh, in this particular text, there's a really interesting desire that Satan uses, that Satan use us, uses to draw people away into sexual temptation. And it's not immodest dress in this particular verse. And, and, and it's not uh, lasciviousness, as it might be described, unchaste handling of men and women is a definition of that. It's, it's not a lot of things. You know what it is? It's flattery and smooth talk. Because a lot of people like to be flattered. And a lot of men, especially with big egos, and a lot of men have big egos, like to be flattered. And so they desire that. And that's the, actually, that's the first lure to a lot of sexual temptation. Satan knows that. He's not going to throw something out there that you think, well, I don't want to bite that because that's, that's going to hurt me. That's not going to end up well. He's going to throw something out there that you think, this is desirable, it's pleasurable, this is what I want, and there's not much harm in me being flattered a little bit, right? 
After all, I am a great guy, so (laughs) that's the way he gets us to think. Some sins, some sins use peer pressure. And when we say peer pressure, we often talk about that as a negative thing among our young people. It's a, it's a thing that all of us have to deal with. It doesn't matter how young or old you are, you're, you're constantly being influenced by people who are around you to think a certain way, dress a certain way, engage in a certain activity, whatever it might be. We're constantly being influenced by those kinds of pressures. And what can happen is, if you've ever seen, like on a nature program, or even if you've been out in the water, sometimes I've seen this uh, out, out in a boat somewhere, <clears throat> where, where fish get into a, a feeding frenzy. And... Uh, when, when the stripe are running, for those of you who know what I'm talking about with fishing, uh, you get all of this, this big school of striped bass, and, and they, they start running together and feeding, and they'll come up to the surface and chasing minnows and things like that, but, but it's, it's a literal feeding frenzy. And, and it, it doesn't matter what lure you throw out there. You, you could throw a bear, I have literally caught, uh, striped bass on what is basically a bare hook. It doesn't matter what you throw out there because it's this crowd, this school of fish, and they are just going crazy feeding. That's what happens to us a lot of times. We, we, we start with a crowd, we get involved, we have this, this pressure from people around us to come with us, <laughs> you know, And so it is that the wise man warns in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 10, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Do not go with the crowd. Do not go along with them. They're bound to do evil. In Exodus chapter 23 and verse 2, You shall not follow a crowd to do evil. The ESV says, You shall not fall in with many to do evil. Satan will use... The crowd mob mentality sometimes to get us to do things that are just wrong. Satan uses the desire to be rich, which corresponds to a lot of other harmful and foolish desires. Paul puts it this way in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 9. He says, You who desire to be rich, why are people tempted to steal? Why are people tempted to cheat on their taxes? Why are, are people tempted to participate in Ponzi schemes or uh, you know, pyramid schemes or whatever it might be? Why are people tempted? Why are people tempted to gamble? What's the, what's the temptation in giving your money to somebody on the one in a million chance that you might get rich? What's the, what's the, what's the lure? Those who desire to be rich. Where's the problem? It's with the desire. What's what's Satan throwing out there? Something that interests that desire. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. Notice that word. A hook, if you will. 
and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's the love, it's the desire of it that is what Satan is playing on, that is what he's using. For which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. How true that is. How many people... Mr. Bankman Freed, I think, is finding this out, if you've been following the news. He would be a classic example of that. How many people are spending decades of their lives in jail because of the desire of money? But more than that, how many people are spending decades of their lives in other kinds of ruin, personal relationships, lack of trustworthiness, just because of money. A lot of problems, interpersonal problems, come from the love of money and the love of pleasure. In James chapter 4 and verse 1, James says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You see the word desires there again. We, we, we fight with one another because we both want the same thing and we both can't have it. Only one of us can. But it's our desire. Here's where your inter-office uh, feuds come in. <laughs> your workplace violence comes in. Here's where uh, people go behind one another backs to do dirty things to one another because they're trying to bring somebody else down because they desire a position in the company or whatever it might be, you know, all and on. Temptation is a lure and it plays on our desires. And that's why James, back in James chapter 1, really lays the problem of sin and temptation squarely where it belongs. And you can blame the devil all you want. You can't blame God because he's never tempted with evil. But you can blame the devil. But that's not really whose fault it is. At the core, the problem is your desire and the control of your desire. Sin hooks us. We bite on that, that lure. We follow our desire. And it is a trap or a snare or a hook, if you will, Proverbs 29 and verse 6, by transgression, an evil man is snared. He's caught. He's not going to be able to get away. A fish on a hook, a rabbit in a snare. Proverbs 5.22 says, his own iniquities entrap a wicked man, and he is caught in the cords of his sin. Sin hooks us like a trap or a snare. And as we've already said, the devil is the fisherman. Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 7, talking about the qualifications of elders. He says that he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into a reproach and the snare of the devil. And then he uses similar language, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 24, when he's telling Timothy how to behave as a servant of the Lord and trying to help others go to heaven. He says, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, 
in humility correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses, having escaped the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So, Satan's the fisherman. He's capturing souls. Paul is talking to Timothy about what Timothy can do to get that soul free and how he needs to operate as he does that. But if, be sure of this, to continue on with the metaphor. If Satan throws that lure at us and we allow our desires to compel us to go after it and we bite on it and we're hooked, And he reels us in and puts us in his fish creel. We are, as any fish would be, headed for the frying pan. Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That brings nobody pleasure to talk about. It is not pleasant to think about. And I have found that over the years when preachers talk about the consequences of sin and spiritual death and ultimately eternal life in hell. People don't like it. People don't want to have to think about hell. That also is a lure of Satan. Because our desire is not that, who wants to think about, let's all spend some time this morning just think about how great it's going to be, you know, if you get to go to hell. Nobody's going to do that. It's, it's not something anybody wants to think about. And so, Practically nobody thinks about it. It's, it's all the easier for Satan to catch men if men don't think about the consequences of being caught. That temptation that he's throwing out in front of you, that you desire, that's a lure to you, it's not just that it has a hook in it, It's not just that it's going to take you his way. It's that in the end, there's hell. But he does not want you to think about that. And most people don't find it desirable to think about it. How do we deal with this? What are some biblical instruction and guidance for dealing with the temptations that Satan is throwing in front of us. Well, it's, it's best to avoid the lure. It's best, of course, to just, you see something you desire, you know, though, that it would be wrong to fulfill that desire in this way, to just uh, turn away from it. Proverbs 14 and verse 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. To turn one away from the snares of death. Respect God. Fear God. 
Jesus one time told the Jews, he said, you know, don't, don't fear him who can destroy the body, but after that, he can't do anything else. Fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Respect God. Respect God. In Psalm 27 and verse 4, one thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. If this desire, please get this, if the desire to be with God is your strongest desire, if that's what you want more than you want anything else there is, any other desire that you have pales in comparison to this one great desire to be with God in eternity then that is what you will follow as you make your choices. And whatever Satan throws at you, if if your desire for that thing is not as great as your desire for God, that lure is not going to work on you. If this is the one thing that you desire, to be with God, Allow his word then to direct your paths. Temptation is answered in God's word. That's what Jesus used to answer it, isn't it? Every time he was tempted, Matthew 4, Luke 4, Satan threw something out in front of him. He says, it is written. The Bible says, direct my steps by your word and let no iniquity have dominion over me. Just follow God's word. Pray in faith. Jesus told his disciples to pray. Do not lead us into temptation. Matthew 6 and verse 13. Pray in faith. Our prayers, if we are a house of prayer, our prayers should mention this aspect regularly. That we we need help overcoming and resisting temptation. Temptation is stronger in the minds of people who are in doubt. Who are in doubt of God's power and help. They don't pray. They don't pray in faith. Prayer makes temptation weaker. We've already mentioned this in part, but I want to go back and think about it a little bit in this aspect. It's best to avoid the lure, staying far away from whatever the temptation is. Temptation cannot be entirely avoided. I am sure we all recognize that. You can do a lot in your life, however, to mitigate Satan's opportunities to lure you. You can, you can avoid places where you know there are things that go on there. You can avoid people who you know are going to lead you into some sort of illicit desire, whether it's gossip, you know, sexual sin, activities that aren't pleasing to God. You can avoid those situa- situations, but you can't avoid all temptation. Jesus couldn't even do that, right? And he didn't. But you can stay far away from temptations that you have a special, weaknesses for, special weakness for or 
that you know about in advance. Historian Shelby Foote tells of a soldier who was wounded in the Battle of Shiloh uh, during the Civil War. And he went to, uh, his commanding officer came by and, and told him, well, you, just need, you just need to get to the rear of the battle. You just need to go back, get to the rear of the battle, and find yourself some medical attention. And so the soldier tried to make his way, wounded as he was, back to uh, the, the rear part of the fight. And as the further back he went, the more intense the fighting became because they were surrounded. And so he, he goes back to his commanding officer and he told him, uh, uh, Sir, this fight don't have no rear. You can't get away from temptation completely. Sometimes it's going to be all around you. But there are times when you can get away from it and avoid it. Many known temptations can be avoided. And so we look at Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 5. Thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse. If you're looking for evil, if you're a perverse person, you're going to find all sorts of thorns and snares. But he who guards his soul will be far from them. You won't find near as many if you're trying to guard your soul. Paul told Timothy to flee youthful lust, run away from those things. And we can run away from a lot of those things. Some of us are old enough to remember the old uh, hee-haw television show. Doc Campbell was one of the characters on there. Somebody came to him one day and said, uh, on the show and said, uh, Doc, my arm is broken in two places. And he said, well, what you need to do is stay out of those places. You, you, you have a temptation in certain places, you need to stay out of those places. And so if those places, you know, again, obviously, if those places are your phone, the internet, uh, a group of people at work, a group of people at school, uh, you need to stay out of those places. That's not hard to figure out. It's better to shun the bait than to struggle in the snare. And it's a whole lot easier to avoid the temptation than it is to try to get away from it once you've been captured by it. You have to make a conscious choice. Avoiding sin, avoiding the lure of temptation doesn't happen by accident. It's not going to just happen because you want to be a good person. I want to be a good person, so therefore, I'm not going to experience temptation. That's exactly the opposite of the truth. If that's your mindset, Satan's going to double down on tempting you. In Hebrews 11 and verse 25, Moses had a choice to make. It says, he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. You to make a conscious choice that these desires that you have are not ones that you're going to fulfill in an illicit way. That you'd rather be with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. And then, if you get hooked, spit it out. Spit it out. Hebrews 12 and verse 1, the writer is encouraging us as Christians to run our race, to run it well, to finish well. He says this though, he says, 
we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. I think that is an interesting phraseology. Look at that. Let us lay aside the weight, but then, and the sin which so easily ensnares us. You're going to have to put that aside. Get it out of your way. Get rid of it. Lay aside the sin because you're not going to make it to the end of this race to heaven if you don't. Because sin will so easily ensnare you, hook you, tie you down, and entrap you. Seek God's help. Seek God's help uh, and he'll provide it. Look for the way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 15. We've not been tempted by anything that's, that's not common to man. We've been tempted by things such as, one translation says, such as man can bear. But, and God is faithful. He will not suffer you and not allow you to be tempted above what you're able. But will with the temptation provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God is wanting to help you overcome these temptations. In Psalm 124, there's a great passage in verses 7 and 8 of Psalm 124. It says, our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowlers. One might say from, from the hook of a fishing lure. Our soul has escaped as, the, as a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. So I was talking about my experiences fishing, fishing a little bit earlier. My granddad was an amazing fisherman. I'm a terrible fisherman. If you've been fishing with me and there are two or three of you that have, you know how bad I am. And, and if, if it's happened once, it's happened I don't know how many times in my life when I, I hooked a big fish. Really, they were big fish. I promise they were. They, they, were, they were big fish. And my line broke or the hook bent or whatever. So I never, never got the big fish in the boat. Oh, the stories I could tell. I don't know if God was in the business of breaking my line on the, for the benefit of the fish or bending the hook for the benefit of the fish. But I believe that he'll help you if you want him to help you. That on your behalf, even when Satan's got you, he can snap the line and he can bend the hook and you can go free. I believe what this text says in Psalm 124 and verse 7. Our, our, snow, our, our soul has escaped from the snare because, because God helped us. Our help is in the name of the Lord. And the way he'll help is if you'll be willing to confess and forsake that sin. If you want to get away from it, you admit that it is a problem, that it's coming between you and God. You're willing to confess it. The wise man says in Proverbs 28 and verse 13, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. In Psalm 51, 
David, in verse 2, pleads with God. Wash me thoroughly from iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Just, Lord, I've, I've acknowledged my sins and I'm just asking for cleansing. For right standing. Understand, though, that God's grace deserves our best effort to stop sinning. He's not going to magically make any temptation go away. It's not going to happen. I know a lot of times we're struggling with temptation and we pray about it and we think we're trying to overcome it and it comes again and it comes again and we wind up giving in again and we're so disappointed with ourselves and maybe there's it gets this cycle of you know, sin, temptation, turning away from it, trying to stay away from it and we just feel so weak and we go back to it and all that sort of thing. But you say, well, what's the problem in this? Why doesn't God help me? God needs you to help yourself. God is helping you. He's given you a way to get forgiveness. He's enabled you to be right with Him. He's granted you repentance. But you're going to have to get stronger. Try harder. Break the cycle. Listen. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. If we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Wow! We're in Christ. We get cleansing from our sins. If we say we have no sin, though we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If you don't think you have a problem with sin, you're not being honest with yourself. Starts with being honest with yourself. And then He says... If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The cleansing is ours. But look over in 1 John chapter 3. As John gets back to the problem of sin in a Christian's life in this context. He says, 1 John 3 and verse 4, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. And you know that He was manifested, that is, Christ came to take away our sins, and in Him there is no sin. Whoever abides in Him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen Him or known Him. Now, he's using sin there in the, in the sense of continuing on in it, living in it, walking in it. He says, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that He might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he's been born of God. In this, then, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. In all of that, we get back to Moses. And his choice, we get back to you and I and our choice. In all of that, we can choose to be children of God or children of the devil. John is plainly laying out in front of his readers. You can choose. What do you choose? God's grace is amazing as we sing, it's, it's astounding, both 
in its love and in its power to save us and change us. But we must cooperate with it. And to be crystal clear on this, one more verse. Romans chapter 6 and verse 12. Paul says, therefore, do not let sin. Do not let sin reign in your mortal mortal body. Would you please focus on the word let? Who lets sin reign in their body? You do. If it's reigning in your body, it's because you let it reign in your body. Paul says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. Those are desires, by the way. So you're obeying your desires. You're doing what your desires tell you to do. You're letting sin reign in your body. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as alive from the dead, your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law but under grace. In God's grace, you can let sin go. Not allow it to have dominion over you. Which means don't follow your desires. Follow his desire. Let him be your desire. There's a a crazy idea. And C.S. Lewis noted this a long time ago. There's a crazy idea that um, good people do not understand what temptation is. That's why they're good people, because they've never really been tempted. They don't understand what temptation is. Again, the devil would like us to believe that. Uh, you know, if you've got a good a kid that's in school and he's really good and, and his cl- classmates want him to go drink or, uh, you know, do something with them that's wrong, and they'll say, well, you're just a goody two-shoes, and the only reason you're being good is because you don't know how fun this is, and you've never got the experience of this and all that sort of thing. And so the idea that a lot of people in the world have is, if people are good, it's because they, they've, they've never tried the bad before. They, they've never toyed with it. They've never given in to it. And, and so that's the only reason they're good. Lewis said this. He said, this is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. You don't know how strong temptation is until you've tried to resist it. Somebody who gives in to temptation in five minutes, he doesn't know what it's like if he waited an hour or two hours or never given in to it. He never knows what kind of strength that takes. The weak person, obviously, is the person who gives in to temptation. Good people are not good because they're weak. They're good because they're strong. And they've chosen to be. Bad people know nothing about dealing with temptation. (laughs) They are the ones who've lived a sheltered life. They've sheltered themselves from goodness. They've sheltered themselves from spiritual strength. And from the grace of God. Oscar Wilde one time said. I can resist anything except temptation. It's the attitude of a lot of people in the world. But that's the one thing we must resist. Thank you for your good attention this morning. I hope the lesson has been helpful. And that you have thought about temptation in your life. What the cause of it is. 
what you're going to do about it. And I pray that you've seen in what we've talked about today that God's grace is sufficient for you to handle your temptation if you'll give your life to him and make him your purpose for living. Is there somebody here this morning that's ready to do that, that's never named the name of Jesus, that has never given their life over to him? Would that be you? To name his name, turn away from your sins, repent, and be baptized in water for the remission of your sins. Whatever you need, please come while we stand and while we sing.